Well, good morning, Union Chapel. Good to be with you this morning. Trust that you are doing well. We are starting, like Pastor Glenn communicated, we are starting a four-week series on Psalm 23, and we could not be more excited about it. And hopefully as you walked into the worship center this morning, you received a cutout of the 23rd Psalm, and I would encourage you, we're going to stand up together as you were able, and we are going to recite the 23rd Psalm together. If you don't have a piece of paper, it'll be up on the screen behind me, and of course, it's in your Bible as well. But let's read this together. Starting in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. May the Lord instruct us and equip us through the hearing and receiving and reciting of his word. My hope and my encouragement as you have this on your person now is every morning, before you get out of bed, before you walk out of your house, I would encourage you just to begin to pray the 23rd Psalm over your life, over your family, over your kids, maybe as people come to mind over them. Whomever that looks like, I would just encourage you to pray that over whomever comes to mind. Our creative team here has done a really great job. I don't know about you, but there can be seasons that I go through where the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning is roll out of bed and pick up my phone to catch up on the latest news in the world or what I missed in the game last night when I fell asleep inevitably before it ended. Uh, and I just communicate to, to God that I'm lacking something. I'm lacking information that I want to get caught up on what is happening around the world. But what has been challenging and convicting for me, as our creative team did, is that they just created a lock screen. You can find that on our social media, and you just put that on your phone so that when you open up your phone, it's 23rd Psalm. This week, it is the verse, first verse, Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And then you begin to pray that, meditate on that. What would it look like for that to be true and ring true in your life? And so I would just encourage you to do that and to participate in that. The question that we're going to be asking ourselves and hopefully answering this morning is twofold. The first is, what does it mean to make the Lord our shepherd? And the second is, what does it mean to lack nothing? What does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd? I normally do not get too overwhelmed or anxious or worried about messages that I give, uh, but for whatever reason, as I began to prepare for life without lack over the 23rd Psalm, I just could not formulate or come up with the idea of what I wanted to preach on. And just to be real transparent with you, about 18 months ago, I read a commentary over the 23rd Psalm that revolutionized my walk with Jesus. I'd been walking with the Lord up until that point for 27 years. I, I had gone through everything with Jesus. I'd read and memorized the 23rd Psalm before, but as I began to unpack this commentary on the 23rd Psalm, it began to challenge me in ways that I've never felt conviction. What would it look like for me to experience a life without lack? 
a transformative relationship with Jesus that invites the kingdom of God here in my life, here on earth as it is in heaven, for me to experience the the love and affection of Jesus here right now in this moment. And so I think that I was putting myself in this place to put just pressure on myself that I wanted to uh, communicate to you all the ways in which this commentary had been for me. And as I was walking through this, and normally I try to get my message and everything turned over to our team by Tuesday afternoon, and I'd been working on this for about three weeks, and I had 10 pages of notes and commentary and verses, and I just couldn't get it whittled down. And I'm only preaching on one verse this morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And you think that it would be pretty easy to come up with something to communicate about that, but it was 10 pages long. And so I get here at about 7.45 in the office, and I need to hammer this out. And I just kept meeting distractions. People would walk into the room that I was in and talk with me, and which was good. People wanted to work with me, which was okay, you know, but I was just so distracted by everything. And I carry a backpack with me everywhere that I go. And in that backpack, I've rehearsed this with you, I have a set of note cards that as I'm meditating and memorizing scripture, I write it out on the note card. And I just felt God asked me to write the 23rd Psalm out on a note card. And so I began to write it out and I get to verse six, the second half of verse six, and I run out of room on the note card. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just felt the Lord say, hey man, I don't think you've, fully grasped what it means to live out a life without lack. I don't know if you're fully engaging in the 23rd Psalm. Get out another note card and rewrite it. And you know, I don't really write all that much and so my hand is cramping and I'm just getting frustrated as I'm writing it. And so I do, I write out the 23rd Psalm again and I just begin to meditate on a few of the words. And this in particular, as I was writing it out, the Lord is my shepherd. I just began to meditate on that. God, thank you. Began to pray over that. God, thank you for taking care of me. God, thank you for leading me. God, thank you for providing for me in ways that I don't even know your provision. And I just began to meditate on that throughout the rest of my day. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That just kept coming to my mind. After I get done preparing my message, I walk into a room and it's full of our staff. And a few of our staff just begin to share really, really heavy things that are going on in their personal life. And I just recited to myself, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is their shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. And I began to to rest in that and find peace in that. And then right after that meeting, a few people in our church had called me and asked if we could meet. They were having some difficulty in their family and needed advice and As they began to share what was going on, it was just so overwhelming. It felt impossible. There's no way that anybody could win. I found myself reciting, the Lord is my shepherd. And I invited the Lord into that space. Hey, guys, before I give any advice, before I say anything, let's just ask the Lord to hear his voice, to speak to us, to give us direction and wisdom. And we listened five, six minutes And I felt so strongly the Lord communicate something to me to tell them. And as I shared that with them, it was interesting what happened. It was exactly what they needed to hear. Oh my gosh, you have no idea the the, the meaning behind what you just communicated to me. It had to have been of God. And so what does it mean to make the Lord our shepherd? It's to listen to his voice, to get to know and experience who God is right now, that he is alive and active and he's wanting to communicate with us. 
And so after that meeting, I had discipleship with a few of our staff and began to share things with them and go through the scriptures with them. And after that meeting, I just felt overwhelmed and exhausted by just giving, 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 giving. And I felt God tell me, hey, Christopher, I just want you to go and spend some time with Jesus. Get filled back up. And one of the things that I've been doing, one of my rhythms that I've been doing here is I walk in the neighborhoods around here and just pray, pray for the people in the homes, pray for the neighborhoods, pray for our church, pray for you all. And Tuesday afternoon in particular, as I felt the challenge to go and spend time with Jesus, it was raining. And so I jumped into my car and I was just going to drive and pray and spend time with Jesus. And as I'm pulling out of our parking lot, I'm about to take a left onto Broadway and there's a man walking in the rain, smoking a cigarette. And I would not advise you to do this, but I just felt, and I've never done this before, um, but I just felt God say, roll down your window and invite him into your vehicle. I was like, I don't, I don't know about this. Uh, and he's smoking a cigarette. And I've mused with you that my wife and I, we just got this car and I didn't want it to smell, smell like smoke. Nothing against smokers or anything like that. I just don't want that to be around my car. And I roll down the window, just trying to be obedient to Jesus, to, to be obedient to what God is calling me into. And I yell, hey, do you need a ride? But not very loud. You know, I was hoping that he didn't hear me. And then he says, what? And I was like, oh my gosh, he, he got me. So I, I scream at, hey, do you need a ride? He said, yes, please. And so I pull into this building across the street on Broadway and uh, he gets in, he puts out the cigarette. Thankfully, it was an answer to prayer. And I reach out my hand. I reach out my hand and I said, hello, my name is Christopher. And he reaches his hand out to me and we shake and he says, my name is Jesus. And you, yeah, exactly. Now, you might not have taken Spanish, uh, like me, I didn't take Spanish, so it took me a minute. And God kind of hit me over the head, and he said, this is, <laughs> this is Jesus, you know? Think about it. And so I, I learned that Jesus, he, he just moved here from Venezuela in November, and he didn't know and speak English very well, and so we began to communicate through Google Translate. He would speak into his phone in Spanish, and I would read it in English, and then I would speak to him in English, and he would read it in Spanish, and we began to talk. And I invited him to church this morning. Maybe he's here. If you're here, Jesus, I want to talk to you and get to know you a little bit more. But I drove him to his work. He was going to work. And I dropped him off after sharing about what I did and why I do it, that we're here all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything that we do, everything that I do is about God. And I want to glorify and honor him and was able just to encourage him. And I pray, I'm starting to pray for Jesus as he comes into my mind. And, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about the story in a little bit. But again, back to the question, what does it mean to make the Lord our shepherd? Well, I think that Jesus gives us a really good outline in John chapter 10, Verses 1 through 14, I just want to read it together. And it goes like this. Jesus talking to a group of people, primarily Pharisees, people who are religious leaders who should have it figured out. But he says this to them in verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
And it's interesting that Jesus is using this figure of speech to these religious leaders, these pastors, these priests, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. They will find rest. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And again, Jesus just wraps it all together in verse 14 and 15, puts a bow on it, communicating, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's such a beautiful passage here that Jesus is talking with his flock. He's talking to the sheep. And I think that there are four things that we can pull from John 10 this morning, but the first one is this, that we get to decide who we will follow. You get to decide who you're going to follow. We see here in verses two through six, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See the intimacy here? The sheep, I just picture them looking at the person who's entering in, doing things the right way, seeing God coming through, through human being, Jesus. And Jesus just communicating, I'm the good shepherd. And there's intimacy here. I know you. And the sheep know me. They hear my voice. They understand my voice. He leads them. He goes out ahead of them. He's going first, we see in verse 4. And in verse 5, the sheep never follow a stranger. Not only do they not follow the stranger, but when they hear the stranger speak, they run the opposite way. They don't even want to flirt with the stranger. They don't want to engage with the stranger. They don't want to get to know the stranger. They just run the opposite way because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And so you see, we have two options as sheep. We're sheep, and we have two options. We can follow the good shepherd, or we can follow the stranger. The commentary that I read about 18 months ago was by a man named Dallas Willard, passed away about 11 years ago, a great theologian. But he wrote this book entitled Life Without Lack that completely changed and revolutionized my life. But one of the things that he communicated in that book was that the most important thing about you is your mind. And the thing that you need to know about Dallas Willard is not only was he a great theologian, but he was also a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. He was the head of the department, just a very smart, informed man who just had a way about communicating to people that was helpful for them and helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you. So he just communicates that the most important thing about you is your mind. And the most important thing about your mind is what it is fixed upon. So the goal, the object for us this morning is to fix our mind always on the Lord. To be thinking about Jesus constantly 
And that is impossible in and of itself. The only way that this is possible, Dallas says, is through constantly renewed effort, choosing to retain God in your knowledge and to set your mind on things above and not on the earth. You see, you know this all too well, that there are things constantly trying to grab our attention, things that are constantly trying to distract you from what is good and what is right and what is true. Companies spend millions of dollars here in a week at the Super Bowl. People are going to be tuning into the Super Bowl more to watch commercials than to the game. And we are constantly inundated with, look at this and look at that, things that are trying to get our attention. And, and Jesus is just saying, do you trust me? Will you listen to my voice? Will you fix your mind on me, things on heaven, the kingdom of God, and not here on earth? Put another way is that we become what we behold. The things that we hold on to and the things that tend to come out of our mouth the most are the things that we become to model and behave like. And so if you want to become more like Jesus, then get a hold of this. Take hold of his word. Understand it. Read it. Get to know the shepherd's voice. People ask me all the time, how do I hear Jesus? How do I get to know God's voice? You practice it. You spend time with it. I was convicted this week. I had an email from a pastor friend of mine, and he challenged me to go spend two hours outside by myself with my Bible, praying and listening to Jesus' voice. And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't I do that? But when is the last time that any of us have done that? It's cold outside, you know? This guy's writing me from California. He doesn't understand. <laughs> so I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to go out for two hours, and I'm sharing this with you so that you will hold me accountable. Hey, Christopher, how did that personal retreat go for those two hours? Ask me next week, okay? We become what we behold. Get to know the shepherd's voice. Listen to it. The second thing is this that we pull from the text is that there's an enemy that exploits lack, makes a big deal of the things that we're lacking in this world. And in verse 7 of John 10, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And this is exactly why we have lack. There's a reality that there's an enemy. And the enemy's have the same tactic from the very beginning. It's to convince us that we are lacking something by being connected to the Father. By living a life with the shepherd, the enemy is communicating, you don't have enough. You need more. And we see this from the very beginning, the tactics here. In Genesis 3, picture this. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they have a perfect relationship with God. They're lacking nothing. They're walking with Jesus in the cool of the day have everything that they need. Everything is provided for them. They work and they don't sweat. I mean, picture that. That's amazing. And, and then all of a sudden, here comes the thief. Here comes the robber. Here comes the enemy. Here comes Satan. And he just comes up to Adam and Eve and he just says, hey, you see that tree? You see that tree in the middle of the garden, that fruit? Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look appealing? 
You know God doesn't want you to eat of that because he's withholding from you. He doesn't want you to have abundance. He doesn't want you to have a good life. And so he's just, he's stingy. And he convinces Adam and Eve that they are lacking something. And the text says in Genesis 3 that when Adam and Eve saw the tree, then they pictured the fruit and saw that it was good and pleasing to the eye and beneficial for obtaining wisdom and knowledge, they took the tree, they took the fruit, and they ate it. And ever since then, we have been running on this wheel to try to get more and try to satisfy the things that we need in this world. And Dallas, he writes later on in in the book, human desire by its nature is infinite. It can never be satisfied. And we as Christians, we have to take our stand against our desire because it can never be satisfied. You can never get enough money if you want money. You can never get enough power if you want power. You can never get enough love. You can never get enough glory. You can never get enough of fill in the blank of whatever it is that you want. Whatever it is that you're vying for, you can never get enough of it. It is impossible. In Matthew 19, there's a a really wealthy man that comes before Jesus, and they have this exchange. 16 through 24, you can read it for yourself if you want to. I'll summarize it. But he comes up to Jesus, and he just simply says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And let me challenge you for a second here that I think in the New Testament when people are talking about the kingdom of God, eternal life, they're not talking about heaven. They are talking about heaven a little bit. But more so they're talking about here and now. That's why when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we give ourselves to the Lord, we can experience the kingdom of God here, today, right now. We can experience a transformative life where we lack nothing. And it's a glimpse, a picture of what heaven will be like. And so I really do believe that this rich young man is asking, hey, how can I experience the good life? How can I do that? How can I get eternal life? And Jesus goes on to ask him a question. This is typically how Jesus responds. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus is saying, if you want to experience the good life, then live out the Ten Commandments. And the man responds, which ones? Which ones do I need to keep? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to the man's response in verse 20. He says, I've done it. I've kept all of them. But he asks this question, what do I still lack? implying that he actually hasn't been able to experience a life without lack. And he's living the right way. He's doing the right things. He's keeping the right commandments. He's answering all the questions that Jesus is asking. He's checking all the boxes, but yet he doesn't feel fulfilled. It's interesting. And so he's asking, he's engaging with the Lord. And so Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be okay, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he he left very sad because he was affluent. He had great wealth. And Jesus says, hey, listen, if you think that you're well off, if you think that you have it all together, 
you will never experience the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they were overwhelmed. Maybe you're overwhelmed hearing, thinking, I thought there was only one way to experience the kingdom of God. Pastor Greg said it this way last week, that you can only enter heaven through humility. And Jesus is teaching this right now to us this morning. And his disciples were just shocked. They, they just asked Jesus, who then can enter the kingdom of God? Who can, who can walk in this life without lack? And Jesus says something that I want us to hear and take away this morning. He says, with man, it is impossible. The way in which you're living your life, if you're trying to figure it out on your own, you will never be satisfied. With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. With God, it is possible. So Peter, he he chirps up, and we'll talk about him here at the end of our message. But in verse 27, he answers him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus will communicate that here in a little bit what there is for Peter. So what do we do? What do we do when we look around and we see so much that is lacking? We look around and there are people who are going hungry. We look around and there are wars that are waged. We look around and there are relational conflicts in your own family, people who are abandoning their children, people in their life that they swore that they would never leave. There's drug addiction. All the things that we can, we can just go down. We can spend the rest of the day talking about lack in our world. So what do we do? Well, I believe that we turn to God. And that there's a reality that there's God, our God, the God that we serve, the God that we worship. God eliminates lack in our life. There's a God that eliminates lack. Dallas goes on to say in his commentary, the idea that we will never be satisfied is so fundamental. This is the truth that every person who follows Jesus, whoever follows Christ, must understand. Jesus spoke directly to the point. Unless you lose your life for my sake, you can never follow me. Unless you take up your cross, you cannot follow me. The cross means acceptance of limitation on desire. And without establishing this for yourself, there can only be frustration and worse, for you simply cannot satisfy desire. Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to try to satisfy yourself, you will never get enough. Put another way, Jesus wasn't crucified so that we wouldn't have to be. He was crucified so that we might participate in his death too. He taught us how to die to self. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. Not I have seen Christ die. I've heard about it. I've talked about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. No, Jesus says, I have been crucified. The Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus goes on to say in John 10, 11 through 15, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees trouble coming, the wolf coming, difficulty in this world coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. God shows up where he's wanted. And so people ask me all the time, Christopher, how do you hear the voice of God? Well, I would ask you the question, do you really want to? Do you really want to hear the voice of God? Because it's been true in my life, and I'm sure it's true in yours, that when we begin to hear the voice of God, it is disruptive. It will cost us something. I want what I want. It's really nice. The things that I desire is really nice. I don't want to stand up here and tell you that I'm about to spend two hours outside in a state park when it's cold outside. I looked at the forecast. It's going to be chilly. I don't want to do that. But I know that God has something for me. God has something for me as I get to hear from him and drink from him and draw from him. God shows up where he's wanted, and that's difficult for people. That was difficult for the religious leaders 2,000 years ago when they were grumbling in Luke 15. We read about this account because Jesus tend, he tended to spend time with sinners and tax collectors, people who were really far from God, seemingly. And Jesus spent the majority of his time with these types of people. And the religious leaders of the day were questioning Jesus' motives often. Why is he spending so much time with these types of people? So Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 about a shepherd. And he says, suppose you have 100 sheep, and at the end of the night, you're taking inventory. And you get to 98, 99, and you're looking for the 100th sheep, and it's missing. Who in their right mind wouldn't leave the fold? Who wouldn't leave the 99 and pursue the one? And he's telling this illustration to solidify who Jesus is after. Jesus is after the one who has gone astray, the one who has wandered off, the one who doesn't feel close to God and doesn't belong in the pack. God is pursuing each and every one of us. And he's wanting us to experience him. So maybe you're sitting in the room and you're like, Christopher, you don't know what I've done, what I haven't done. I could never hear the voice of God because he's angry with me. Or he doesn't want to speak to somebody like me. And I would just push back on that and I would just say, no, Jesus wants to speak to someone exactly like you. He's wanting to speak to people exactly like you. And God wants to give us exactly what we need when we need it. God is wanting to provide for you. God is wanting to bring you to a place where you can communicate, I lack nothing. There's nothing in this world that I, that I lack. And so my fourth and final point as we conclude is that as we decide who to follow, you are given responsibility. Again, you get to decide who you follow. It's a decision that you have to make personally. No one's going to force you to make it. No one's going to try to manipulate you to make it. You get to decide who am I going to follow. Who am I going to stand in line behind? If we decide to follow the thief, we will reap temporary satisfaction. I've experienced it. I get it. I know it. It feels good in the moment. Solomon writes about this in Proverbs. That there are people who are running after sin constantly. Why? Because it feels good. It satisfies the cravings for a little bit and then you just want more. And so if you follow the thief, if you follow the ways of the world, if you follow yourself, you will reap temporary satisfaction. But if you decide to follow the shepherd, you will reap transformative satisfaction. 
you will be satisfied in ways that you didn't even know you could be. The things that you once craved, you no longer crave. The things that weren't fun are now fun. It's transformative. Jesus will bring you to a different level that you thought, never thought possible. He's literally bringing the kingdom of God here in your life as we choose to follow him and accept him. But it comes with temptation as we follow Jesus. And Jesus talks about this. We read about this in John 21, 15 through 22, just to set the stage for us this morning. Jesus is going after the one who had gone astray, Peter, one of his disciples. Just a few nights before this interaction with Peter and Jesus, Jesus is having supper with his disciples, his closest friends, his brothers. And he just simply says, hey, one of you at this table is going to deny me, betray me, going to hurt me. And Peter's wanting to know who it is. Jesus, who is it? Who is it going to be? And Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die for you, I will never betray your trust. I will never deny you. And Jesus gently rebukes him. He says, Peter, not once, not twice, but three times, you're going to deny me. And so we find ourselves, Peter, just lost and confused. He, he did it. He denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And he's running. He's on a pursuit to just try to figure it out. And he's going back to what he knew. He's fishing. And they had just caught a ton of fish. And in verse 15, we pick up in the story, they're eating fish together. They're eating breakfast together. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I just imagine Jesus pointing to the fishing gear. This was Peter's livelihood. This is what he knew. This was normalcy for him. This is how he went through the world, through the lens of a fisherman. Do you love me more than this? It's interesting that Jesus knows exactly what we think that we need, and he speaks directly to it, and he just is communicating, I have something better. Will you let go of what you're holding on to so tightly so that you can receive something better from me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. He didn't understand. He was confused by what Jesus was doing because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you, you know everything. You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. When we begin to follow the shepherd, it will come with responsibility. God will begin to ask us things that make us feel uncomfortable, ask us to do things that we aren't sure of, to take care of the sheep, to feed the sheep to watch over the lambs. Well, I don't know what that looks like for you, but God is speaking to you individually about what to do. And here's the temptation that comes with that. And this is what Peter fell into, and I ask that you don't fall into it yourself. Jesus speaking to Peter, and, and Peter just, in verse 21, he just looks over to John and he says, what about him? What about this guy? What does he have to do? What is he doing? I don't, I don't see you asking him to feed your sheep, take care of your lambs. What about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
So don't fall into the temptation as you begin being led by the spirit to look around and start asking questions about this or that. God, why did you call me into this? God, why did you ask me to do that? The goal is just to fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Jesus, I promise you, he will bring you to a place where you can confidently say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And as I was praying and meditating and over this section of scripture, (laughs) the Lord just brought it full circle for me. As I was overwhelmed and anxious about what I was going to say and what I was going to communicate, and are people really going to be able to walk out of this room this morning and experience a life without lack? I don't know. Again, it's your decision to make. But Jesus just said, hey, man, remember when you got out into your car and began to drive and you picked up Jesus on the side of Broadway? The same is true in our life with the Lord. That is what it's about, is picking up Jesus and and making the decision, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you want to lead us, I'm going. I'm listening to you. I'm learning to hear from you and understand what it means to listen to your voice. I'm reading your word. I'm engaging with you. A life without lack with a good shepherd is all about riding with Jesus. No matter what just fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and saying yes to whatever he's asking us to do. Let us pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are a shepherd worthy of being followed. Jesus, I love what your word says in Romans 5, 8, that we love because you first loved us. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for showing us what it is to be led by you. God, I pray right now that there are people in this room who have never experienced your voice. God, I pray that they would hear from you, that you would begin to speak to them, that they would soften their hearts to not be so cynical or skeptical of being able to hear from a God who they feel far away from. But would you remind them of your love that you shared in Luke 15, that you were pursuing the one. God, I pray that you would be with our time, the rest of the morning, that as we begin to worship you, that we would hear from you. God, help us to take steps of obedience toward you. I pray that if there are people in this room or maybe watching online who do not know you, who do not know the shepherd, that they would begin to learn about you, that they would cry out to you, that they would ask for you. And would they submit to you? Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.